Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Rocket MSP podcast. I'm Steve Taylor, your host, and today I'm joined by Chris Tim from Sandella Consulting. Chris, thanks so much for being here today, man. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Thanks very much for having me. Real pre- pleasure to be here. That's great, man. I, um, I, I just, so if I seem a little disheveled today, guys, or or kind of like, ooh, it's it's because I like literally just got home, and and like ate my lunch in front of Chris while we while we started, you know, getting everything set up, and now I just realized I've got Taco Bell sauce all over my stomach, uh, and he so didn't even share any with me. I mean, that's I didn't, like, you know, but you know, the good news is. It was really delicious. Um, so, Chris, I, I I don't know. I want to brag a little bit because um, I'm excited. You, you know, like when you get a new thing, you're excited. Absolutely. So uh, I I just got home from getting myself a car. Uh, oh, cool. What'd you get? I got a 2013 Volvo X. C ninety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've never really known much about Volvo, so I'm I'm kind of excited about this. I suspect Volvo is more of a common car over there, just because they at one time were a Swedish vehicle. I don't know what they are now, Um, but yeah, I've you know, for an eight year old car, it. It feels nice. It's got Bluetooth. It plays my music, and it the only the only thing it doesn't have is a backup camera. So I'm I'm gonna go get one of those here soon. Um, yeah. So so that's that's my thing. Yeah, great cars actually. We um, they are quite common over here. Um, we we get a lot of them. Yeah, I don't know if they're still Swedish. I know that you know it seems like every car manufacturer has been acquired and bought by somebody else so who knows who knows what they are these days but they they were acquired I, I can't remember if it's a Japanese company or a Chinese company but they were acquired and it's like the the number six or number seven car maker in the country where they're from and it's a company that like I've never heard of I suspect you've never heard of it's probably over in the um, Asia you know Southeast Asia area. So I'm, I'm super stoked. You know, when, when we're done, I'll, you know, go joyriding a little and see what (laughs) kind of trouble I can get into. You know, I appreciate that you, uh, you, you interviewed me instead of going for a joyride and, uh, and wait till till afterwards, but you know, so I'm, I'm stoked. I'm privileged that you've, uh, you've chosen to do that. I'm excited that I get to interview because, um, you, you do, like PSA RMM consulting and you are, I don't know what the right word is, but you're like an auto task consultant. So I assume that means you also do 
Datto RMM. I do, yeah. Are there any other RMMs or PSAs that you work with? Uh, no, so predominantly it's it's all a task in the Datto RMM. Um, I can help MSPs conceptually on some of the other tools, but predominantly it's it's all a task. So, you know, if they want me to kind of help them get hands-on and down and dirty into the product and set it up, then, yeah, it, it's predominantly going to be. Well, very cool. So... I, you know, when I, when I think about, when I think about PSAs and RMMs, I, I think about all of the uh, broken promises that, you know, oh, this thing's going to do everything for you, says the sales guy. And then you like log into it for the first time and you realize unless you spend, you know, three and a half years configuring this thing, it's going to do nothing for you. Yes, I mean, you need to spend some time configuring it. And um, I think a lot of time, a lot of the time, it's actually um, the MSP generally sort of going into it with the wrong mindset, right? So it's, you know, they, they want a service delivery tool and they, they look for a PSA tool or they want a, um, you know, a CRM tool and they, they look for a PSA tool. So, you know, each one of those modules on its own is, is not what a PSA tool is. So it's not a service delivery tool. It's a, um, you know, complete business management platform. So I think part of the reason, um, you know, why a lot of people, I guess, go wrong or why it takes so long for them to, to set it up is because, um, or, or even why it, it appears to be broken promises is because very often they'll go into it with the wrong mindset, right? So they'll go to the PSA company and say, I need a service desk and they'll go, yeah, it's a service desk. And then actually later on, they'll find out it's actually not a service desk. They want it's a billing platform or it's something else. So, um, gotcha. Now, when, when somebody says I'm an auto task consultant, it makes me wonder like who on earth wants to be an auto task consultant? Like, so, so what did you do before this? Like what you, you weren't like a, a bread maker or a machinist. Like you, you ran an MSP or you did accounting, something like that. Right. Man, I wish I was a bread maker. I love baking. Um, but no, I wasn't. I, um, I, yeah, I was an MSP before, uh, before this, um, been in the MSP industry for a long time, sold my MSP business back in 2012. Um, and then I was actually approached by Autotask in the UK just when I was selling up, um, they were looking for somebody to come in and help them head up their pre-sales and, and implementation teams. Um, so I took on a position with them um, and I, I ran those departments for five and a half years. So gained a huge amount of experience of, um, you know, of the Auditask product and also having had the experience of running and selling an MSP business, um, I then actually decided to, um, you know, I could use those skills to, to help other MSPs to get the best out of, um, out of Auditask. So, um, then around five years ago, I started up as a as an independent task uh, hmm. PSA consultant. <clears throat> All right, and so five, you said about five years ago you went independent. For the few years before that, you were um, working with Autotask. You were basically an employee there. It sounds like. Yep. And then you you ran an MSP. You sold it in 2012. Uh, so I, I feel like we're we're checking off all the boxes here, man. This is good stuff. Um, so let's let's talk about PSAs. 
Um, you only work with Autotask, but regardless of whatever PSA people are using, <clears throat> if you could sum up the most like important things that you know every MSP should be doing in their PSA and like I don't know three or four bullet points, what would those points be? That's a great question, and um, and like I said earlier on, you know a lot of uh, MSPs buy it purely as a, as a service desk. And that's one of the things absolutely you should be getting right and you should, should be doing in the, in the PSA. But there's a lot more that you can do in it. So, um, you know, billing is, a, is, is, you know, a really important aspect because um, it's going to allow you to, uh, to run the billing out of all the tasks. It's also going to allow you to, um, you know, understand the profitability against all of your contracts. So certainly running the contract management uh, through all the tasks, you know, putting in all of the... Um, things that you're selling to your customer on a monthly basis, you know, your Microsoft 365, running all of that stuff through the system and, and billing for that. Um, so, so that's definitely another thing. And, and then I would absolutely say that, you know, any MSP should be running their sales pipeline through that as well. So it has a, a fully fledged um, CRM system in it um, with opportunity management. So you can then, um, you know, track your opportunity pipeline. And also more importantly, over and above that, which ties into the ticketing system is allowing you to, to track the value of those opportunities and track the pre-sales activity against those opportunities as well. So, you know, those are some really important things that, that uh, MSPs should be using the PSA tool for, not just as a service desk. Excellent. So I, I believe the, the things that I was able to take away from that are uh, do all of your billing, make sure you have all your products and services that you sell in there and make sure you're utilizing the sales and opportunity uh, sales and opportunities portion yep. um, and making sure you add values and products and services and contract links and all that stuff. So that way, when you convert it from a quote to a sales order, you can, you can create a contract, you can create a ticket and invoice them and, and whatever else, everything happens in Autotask. And from what I remember from when I was an Autotask user, um, the, the really, the really nice thing is when you're doing everything in your PSA, you know, let's connect wise always say, if it's not in connect wise, it never happened. Right. So yeah. that's, that's my approach for all of them. You know, if it's not an auto task, it never happened. If it's not in say a BMS, it never happened. So if, if you're not tracking, I sold a $9,000 project and my, um, my profitability on that was, uh, 1200 because it was it was mostly hardware then like what why do you have a PSA if you're not going to track all that kind of stuff you should be able to look at your uh, profitability down to how profitable is each client worth to me it is and, and you know the thing with profitability as well is it's not just about um, you know working out how much the opportunities are, are worth and how much your contracts are worth it's where, where a lot of MSPs, um, you know, also don't put things into the system correctly is, is things like cost, right? Burden rates. So the cost of the engineer, because every time that engineer then adds time against the ticket, um, you can either go and bill for that ticket, uh, you know, as, as break fix okay. or ad hoc, whatever the case might be, or um, billing it against the contract. But now what you're going to be able to do is to, to understand exactly how much that contract is costing you and how much that time, that engineer's time is costing you. Um, you know, in the way that all PSA tools work with profitability, very, very simple. It takes your revenue minus all of your costs. 
So that's going to be the costs of all the products and services that you're selling, as well as the costs of the engineers. Very few people actually put their engineers' costs in there. And you know, and they are a cost in the business. So take into account all of those costs. It then takes your revenue, minuses all those costs, and gives you a profitability. Well, the nice thing is a lot of MSPs, their engineers are are just volunteers. You know, they don't they don't do this for the money or for the glory. They just really love to uh, work for free and get shit on by people. That's exactly yeah. That's what it so sometimes that, feels like. That's that's why people don't put their their uh, employee costs in because because they don't pay them anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Sometimes as an engineer, when I used to be an engineer, sometimes it felt like that, right? But yeah. So yeah. Let, let's let's talk about profitability for a moment. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now. Shameless plug. Let's do it, Chris. You want me to do it? What We're about gonna profitability? Do PSA profitability. You can buy that book at your favorite bookstore, right? At your favorite Amazon bookstore. Yes. Yes. Available. I mean, are there any other bookstores other than Amazon? I mean, let's be No honest. other bookstores are, are available, right? But yeah, at your at your favorite Amazon bookstore. So uh, you can get it in, in print format, like you can see there, or uh, or you can get it in, in Kindle. Um, I've had a few people ask me if there's a, an audio version yet, and uh, there is one coming, but I, I'm still trying to record it at the moment, so... Well, if you want, I can record it for you, um, and I'll I'll get real close to the mic, so it'll be uh, half book reading, half ASMR. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, we'll we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, maybe you can just maybe you can start now. I can't read it. It's it's yeah. yeah. You know, I'll tell you what. Send me the PDF. And I'll... <laughs> We're missing now, but no, I mean, so, so I wrote that book uh, in September 2019. Um, so it's been no September 2020. I like so it's September 2020. So it's it's only been um, a good a good few months. Um, you know, and I wrote it pretty much for what we've just talked about, right? Is there's a lot of MSPs that buy a PSA tool, they use it as a service desk, they don't know how to get any profitability information out of it. Um, so I wrote the book to say, you know, um, I can help you by reading that book to understand how to become a profitable MSP, how to get the profitability information out of it, how to set up the correct reports, and, and ultimately where to actually go and, and, and actually set those costs up. So how to work out that burden rate, because right? I mentioned burden rates and not many people actually know what it is or how to work it out. So it tells you in the book how to go and work it out, where to actually put it into your PSA tool. Um, and then gives you uh, some of the, the key reports that you should be running as an MSP to get profit. Awesome. Can uh, can you kind of show us a little bit right now? Sure. Yep. I can absolutely do that. I have my screen up. So whenever you're ready. Oops, I'm, on the, I'm on the wrong side here. That's why. We're going to, I'll just, excuse me, pardon me. We're going to switch sides here. And then uh, there you go. That's better. Okie dokie. So, yeah, so basically um, what I'm going to do is to show you um, a, a few key reports that you're going to be able to get out of um, out of Autotask. This is a, a, a demo account, um, so none of these figures are real. But right built out of the box in Autotask um, comes with a, a finance tab built in. So this is going to give you, 
you know, how much revenue you've posted this month versus how much you've made last month. So if this was my MSP, um, I would, uh, well, I guess it's only the, the 10th of the month. So hopefully I'm doing okay. But, you know, you can see I, I made a substantial amount more than I did um, last uh, last month than I did this month. But let's have a look at this. If we click into here, you can actually now start to see exactly where this is coming from. So, you know, I can see recurring services bundle. Um, then I can actually see how much profit I've made on each one of those line items. So we're selling this for 15 pounds or dollars, whatever it is. Um, it's cost us five. Therefore, our profit is, is 10, which is a 66% profitability. So we can break this down right down to, um, you know, specific line items and specific services within um, within this contract. So that's, I see that the Justice League has been one of your best customers. Hey, the Justice League is a great customer. I mean, Batman spends a lot with us. Yeah. Um, so exactly. And and there you go. So you can see that, you know, Justice League, um, how much revenue have we made this month from them? Again, where's that revenue come from? So I can now see, um, you know, there's some recurring service bundles on an all you can eat contract. Um, and I can go ahead and just very quickly see all options. So, so that's one place at a glance to straight away see your most profitable customers. But my two favorite ones I actually love to look at, believe it or not, is my least profitable customers and my bottom revenue earners. It just so happens that, that because I've only run two through the billing, they both actually are top and bottom. Um, but normally these would be um, you, you know, a lot more accurate. But here you can start to see who are my least profitable. Right? So which customers are either not profitable at all or which customers are, um, are costing me money, right? So you're going to see the bottom revenue, and then you're also going to start to be able to see information about the least profitable. And then we can look at the most profitable, and we can also start to look at, um, you know, just revenue by customers as well. So this is starting to give us, just at a glance, very, very quickly um, as to who those customers are. And we can run this over sort of the last three months and start to get that information. So that's one of the dashboards and this particular dashboard, except these least profitable um, widgets are actually built out of the box. So um, for anyone that's using Autotask, you'll have the most profitable um, and you'll have the top revenue earner. All you have to do is simply copy these widgets like this. Um, and when you copy them, all you need to do is go into the options and change the top five to the bottom five um, and that, and then just change that word from most to least. And it'll create a new widget for you, um, and it'll just flick the flick them around. So really, really cool. Um, again, this one here is a great widget because you can start to see your your forecast of recurring revenue. So I can see that you know getting towards December this year, um, I, I'm not making anywhere near as much money in recurring revenue. So why is that? Right, that might be that I've had customers that have cancelled, or maybe there's um, uh, you know, I just haven't renewed the contracts, whatever the case might be, but I can start to see, um, you know, my revenue dipping off. So to clarify, the the revenue forecast with, with it trending downward, that could be simply because contracts are, they have an expiration date coming up and you simply haven't renewed it, right? Pretty much, yep. Okay. Yep. Or, and, and that's maybe because a customer's canceled, so I haven't renewed it. Or it may be that, um, yeah, I just simply have, have, you know, it's got an expiration date and I just need to go on and actually go and renew that contract. So there is a wizard um, where you can, you can simply go ahead and, and, and run the um, renewal wizard and just go and renew those contracts. Um, yeah. There is also a widget that allows you to uh, 
uh, to actually see which contracts are expiring. Um, and and I can I, I'll build that a little bit later, and I'll actually show um, show people how you know how you would look at what contracts are expiring. Very cool. One of the ones I wanted to also point out is um, is our margin tab. So now we can start to look at things like um, you know profitability margin by customers. So we can start to now see um, you know that able manufacturing. I, uh, this is running for last month. You know we can see that um, as a percentage. You know, old rec engineering or able manufacturing, you know, is 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 eighty five percent profitable last month. So these are great customers to to have. Um, and again, we can flick this one around, and we can say, you know, show us all of the um, the customers where we're making an, a negative profitability margin. So this is a widget that I actually built, um, and this is a widget that that does not come out of the box, but very very simple to build. Um, you know, we can we can easily build this kind of widget. I I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think from a, a point of view of being able to just very quickly see that profitability. And again, you know, clicking into it, right, being able to actually go into here and say, you know, where's that coming from? So I can see for Oldwick Engineering, there's a, you know, there's a domain registration as a subscription. Um, and and actually, here's a perfect example of um, where this actually probably isn't isn't that accurate. Because what we can see in here is we've made, you know, revenue of, of 400 pounds, but we've got a cost of zero. So if this is a domain registration, it's probably actually not costing us nothing. So we, we are going to be buying that domain registration. So this is an example, you know, by looking at this, I might think to myself, you know, this is great. This customer's really profitable. I can see it, it's 100% profitable. When I click into here, I can very quickly see the reason why. Um, so I'm going to know that something's wrong. I, I think it's safe to say, I don't know of a single thing that we can do for a customer that's 100% profit. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing would be. And, you know, and, and then if you, if you had a ticket against this for whatever reason to go and install this or, or what have you, then you're going to have, um, uh, you know, labor burden rates against this too. So that cost um, is, is going to take into account there. So um, whenever I see anything that's showing as 100% profitability, I know that there's there's an issue, and as you say, there's no way we're ever going to have a hundred percent profitability, right? So there's a really good example of something that I I should be correcting and and uh, making. Awesome. Um, and then one other one, and I just I'm not sure where it is. Uh, it might be this one here. Yeah. So this one here now also gives us a complete overview of again everything that's happening on this customer site. So I can see a complete financial performance. So this is showing me in general um, for all my customers, uh, you know, revenue year to date. Um, and I can also see my profits and my costs year to date um, and, and therefore my, my year to date profit. So giving me some really good, um, good figures right there. Um, and again, this was something that I built, but it doesn't take very long to build this kind of, um, kind of widget. And then more importantly, you know, which customers still owe me money. So I can see there's 380,000 pounds in this case, or whatever that is, $500, $500,000 odd. Um, you know, that's still outstanding. And when I click into here, I can then see exactly where those are coming from and which companies it is that, that still owes us that. Okay. So it gives us, um, you know, these are the kinds of reports that an MSP could run. And some of these are, are out of the box and the rest of them, you know, are very straightforward widgets to, to build um, and doesn't take you very long to, to build. 
I like these. Now, what about um, what about somebody that maybe just signed up with Autotask and they've imported all of their customers and the contacts, and then now I need to make a bazillion contracts. Mm-hmm. You know where I'm going, don't you? Yeah. You want to know if you can import them or? No. Oh, no. You, they get well, to me. No. Well, I mean, you, they can, but maybe you're not aware of it. Okay. Well, let me let me show you where they would go because actually, in order tasks, certainly there is um, there's actually a wizard that you can log into. Um, okay. If you go to contracts.autotask.net. Yeah. So in here you would you would log in, um, and this would take you into a complete wizard that you can just build all of the contracts in pretty much in one go. So you select all the customers, select what services they have, um, you know, select the start and end date of those contracts. Next, 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 finished, boom, all your contracts are created for all your customers, um, ready to go. But you'd have to have the services, um, you know, and the, and the charges and what have you already entered into the system. But you, you can Correct. just run this contract creation wizard that will allow you to do that straight away. I, I always, I don't know why, I just, I feel like the contract creation utility is Autotask's best kept secret. It is. Very few people actually know about it. Um, and, and, it and it is a, you know, it's kind of outside of the product. So it's not built into the UI. Um, and yeah. I think that's probably just why a lot of people don't really know about it. Um, but yeah, it's there. Um, it's just contracts.autotask.net. You just log in with your normal Autotask details um, and you'll be able to run that. Are you able to turn your gain up a little bit on your road mic? Uh, sure. Hang on. Or whatever. I don't know. You, do you have one of those fancy roadcasters? I do, yeah. Man, I I see myself getting one of those in the next couple months. Yeah. I'm right. I'm sick of having this uh this blue condenser mic. I need a dynamic mic. Then is that better? Yes. Yeah, I've turned it up quite a bit. So it's, uh, yeah, it's fairly high just looking at it now. Good. Yeah. yeah so for some reason, sometimes your your voice would just kind of fade away sometimes. So hopefully this kind of prevents that moving forward. Um, for, for those of you watching us live, feel free to put something as a comment. Let me know how we sound is, you know, whatever, right? All right, so so we talked about some profitability. Uh, I let you show off that the contract tool because it's just such a freaking cool tool, man. Um, let's talk about uh, products and services. Now, when when setting up Autotask or or maybe just when getting a new service or whatever, right? You should be setting up your products and services and auto tasks so that way they can uh, synchronize over to your QuickBooks or Zero or whatever you're using. Um, but you should also be probably using a unique, like let's say you sell some hardware. So should you have a unique product for each type of hardware? Like uh, this is a Dell Latitude and here's a Dell Precision and this one's got 16 gigs of RAM. Like, or can you just have a generic hardware mm-hmm. and just use that for hardware? And then 
with each uh, quote, you you put in the cost for that hardware and then just charge some hardware. Yeah, that's a great question. And and, and actually, that's the way I, I recommend people do it is they just have a generic product. So you just have a, I wouldn't even go as far as saying Dell laptop or Dell PC. I would just say PC or laptop or whatever it is. And then, um, yeah, and then when you quote for it, you just bring it in. You can change the description. You can change the cost. You can change the selling price. You can change all of that kind of stuff at the quote level. Um, the same thing with with services. I mean, you, you know, when you're bringing in services from various vendors and, and what have you, um, they're all going to come in as whatever they are. So things like Microsoft 365 um, or you know, a premium, basic, advanced, whatever they call them these days. So they're all going to come in as those specific things. Um, those are the only ones that you really need to kind of, um, uh, you know, be very specific as to what they are, because when you bring them into a contract, you can't then change the names of those um, uh, those services. Right. So the service name is is what it's going to pull in. But from a product perspective, yeah, I mean, you can just change the, in fact, you really don't need to change the name of it in a product when you're quoting anyway. So you could just say laptop and then you could say four gigs of RAM or Four gigs of RAM. You just put whatever you want in the, in the... <laughs> you know, eight, 16 gigs of RAM, whatever it is, and you put whatever you want, put the cost price in, the selling price. Yeah. So um, so I think keep it as generic as possible. Um, although if you are using a third party quoting tool, um, you know, and there's there's millions of them out there, you know, things like um, you know, Zementum, IT Quota, um, you know, QuoteWorks, all of those kind of things, they're all gonna bring in the product. Um, you know, very specific. So they're going to bring in a Dell Latitude XPS, whatever it's called. Um, you know, they're going to bring that in exactly as it is right down to the, the make and model and serial number of that machine. And not only that, but they're going to, uh, if if you've got the real-time feed set up with distribution, they'll even bring in like, you know, part numbers and SKUs and everything else. So that way, when it comes time to order it, um, Sometimes the quoting tool, the third-party ones, you you just press a button and it sends them a purchase order and buys it. Mm. Now, yeah. now, what what do you recommend for for people right now who are like, man, whenever I quote somebody, I just like put something in an email and hope they buy it. Like, do they need to? Is 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 switching over to like IT Quoter or QuoteWorks? With you know the the web page where they can approve or deny and punch in credit cards and and then you know you've got the utilized data and, and whatever else is that just like overkill? Are you are you? No, I, I definitely think it's it's well worth having one of those um, those third party quoting tools. Um, you know, I, again, I guess because what the advantage of those are is, well, firstly, they look massively professional. And I think if you just send a, a one line to your customer in an email, it's not very professional, first of all. Secondly, I think that, um, you know, they, they all give the customer the ability to change quantities. So, you know, you can say, well, these are optional, so you can have this one with this this memory or whatever the case might be. And the customers can pick all of that. They can also then, you know, type some notes and ask you some questions about it. So I think it's absolutely necessary having... Um, a third-party quoting tool. They all work pretty much in the same way. They all, as you say, they all link to Utilize. They all link to to the, the vendors. Um, you know, and and the big vendors, the you know Ingrams and Tech Data's of the world, are pretty much worldwide. So um, you know, it doesn't really matter where you are. It 
it's going to work with those big vendors in whatever country. Cool. All right. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, digging deeper into sales and opportunities. Maybe uh, it may be possible that when we're setting up an opportunity, we're doing things incorrectly. You know, because sometimes it wants to know like, what's the temperature of this opportunity? I freaking know. Like, so can you can you kind of walk us through setting up an opportunity and 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 maybe maybe kind of give us some pointers on? <laughs> sure. So actually, one of the really nice things about um, about Autotask is it has these things called oh, not a ticket. Um, it has these things called opportunity categories. Well, it has ticket categories as well. But what this allows you to do is to completely um, customize what information goes in here. So, for example, um, I don't know why this has got Motorola in this demo database, but let's run with it. Um, so here you can see, you know, opportunity category, and then there's specific questions based on this type of opportunity. So, you know, I can customize this to say, is pre-sales needed? Um, you know, what uh, what questions I need to ask about that? And that is going to be specific to this type of opportunity. So this could be, you know, opportunity to provide hardware or, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, a, a, you know, network refresh um, opportunity, whatever the case might be. And these questions here can be specific to that. So you can get rid also of some of these. So like if you didn't want rating or you didn't want probability, um, you know, you can get rid of all of these fields inside the um, the opportunity category. So you could just have three or four fields that you needed and and, and have that information entered in there, um, you know, just in a few fields. So, um, yeah, so you can completely customize that um, and completely customize how you want this information to look um, and also the position of all of these. So you can see that the opportunity owner is all the way down the bottom, as is, you know, the actual values of the opportunity, which, you know, in my opinion, these are, these are kind of the more important things. So we can simply just move these right to the very top. So, you know, we could take this whole value section, move it to the top. In fact, I'll actually, um, this is probably a, um, a, a little bit of free consulting. So let me go in and, and kind of show you guys how to do this. Um, but if we went to sales and opportunities, you know, I could, I could come in here, create an opportunity category. Let's just edit this Motorola one. Um, and if we just said, for example, we're going to edit this and come into details. And then I can say, you know, here's these specific questions that I had. Um, but then I might say, do you know what? I'm not interested in, in the probability. So I can just hide that field. Um, I'm not interested in, um, or let's say these, this whole section of values, I can simply just move this to the top, right? And then maybe, um, you know, maybe I never sell anything quarterly. So let's just get rid of the, the quarterly revenue. And when I save this, I go in and I create a new opportunity. Um, what you'll actually see now is that if I pick that Motorola opportunity, now you can see the values right at the very top. Um, and my specific questions have now moved down a little bit. And I also don't have anything, you know, on, on the probability and all that kind of stuff. So to answer that question, I know it was a little bit long-winded, but to answer that question, you can completely customize this and you don't need to have information in the opportunity that you don't need. Or that you don't. Now let's, let's talk about the probability and the, the temperature rating, whatever you want to call those things. So whether you choose to have them in there or not, um, I think one of the things that 
probably most MSPs either don't understand or maybe just completely getting wrong is is how should they be using them? Like, I understand that some of these things are maybe subjective or, you know, there's no wrong way as long as you're using it consistently or whatever. But my thought was always kind of probability. Um, like, I can't ask a customer, how likely are you to buy this? Because, I mean, the probability of them buying one of them is probably 100%. But maybe it's, you know, they're, they're getting quotes from me and four other companies. So I guess I look at it as my probability is 20%. Sure, sure. And, you know, I think the probability, and that's exactly what it is, right? It's going to be pretty much down to what you think the probability of them buying um, from you is going to be. So, um, you know, the probability is, is going to be, um, yeah, 20%, 30%. And you can actually... Um, on the stage of the opportunity, so if you go into, um, uh, you know, there you've got status, um, we're on the stage in here, but, you know, we could change this to say if it's, um, let me just pick the stage, this one here. So, you know, if you go into the stage of the opportunity and you say, you know, this is at um, proposal sent stage, then we can automatically change that probability based on that stage. So if I say, you know, at, at this point, when it's when it's first contact, yeah, who knows, right? Who knows if they're going to buy from me? Um, but if I'm sending them a proposal, they've probably said that they're interested in buying from me because I've now sent them a, or sending them a proposal. So my probability is probably going to go up by, you know, maybe up to 30 or 40%. And then, you know, certainly when I actually um, then send them the contract, then at that point, I might want to change the, the probability to 100% because now I've sent them a contract. And they're going to hmm. So based on these stages, you can actually have it that it, it changes the probability based on what you enter in here. And are, are those kind of changes workflow rules or is it somewhere else in the... They workflow rules, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, other people, instead of using like, you know... I, I've got a one fifth chance of, of getting it one in five because it's me and four other MSPs. Um, they may, they may have like, if it's, if it's an MSP uh, service opportunity, then maybe they've done enough um, prospecting and selling that they actually know, like, you know, if, if a company reaches out to us you know, we, we know that of, of the last 500 of the people that have reached out to us for managed services, uh, 50 of them signed up. So we know that, you know, 10% of the, the people sign up. So maybe the probability on that's 10% or, or if it's an out and maybe they've, maybe you've got different opportunity types, whether it's an inbound or an outbound or something like that. Like how, how granular do you recommend people get when, when setting up their, their sales and opportunities and the pipeline and all that stuff? And, and does it change based on like their size of employees or amount of gross revenue or anything like that? That's a great question. And I mean, so yeah, you you can you can set these again to say you know if this is a um, you know if this is an opportunity category for Motorola, for example, then again we can say if if this is an inbound 
lead or it's a lead from a trade show, we might set the probability at 40%. But if it's a, um, you know, it's an existing customer and we have an opportunity category here, maybe called existing customer for something, then maybe we give it a, an 80% probability probability so we can change it based on this category as well um and yeah you know and i think probabilities are are going to be very much based on um you know the size of the opportunity the type of the opportunity that you're working on um you know because everything's going to be different and you're going to know your clients better than than anyone else um Mm -hmm. and and if it's a prospect you know i guess if you go and have a meeting with them or you talk to them about something and they, um, you know, and they make a lot of excited noises about things, then you might say, you know what, this might be a, um, a much higher opportunity and a much better chance of me winning this than if it was something that they, you know, weren't really interested. So I think it is going to be on a case by case basis and it is going to be based on the type of opportunity and the type of lead and the type of customer and all that kind of stuff. Cool. All right. What what other I don't know like stuff do you recommend uh, MSPs be doing in their PSA like at a bare minimum? I suspect that there's something that we should be doing um, beyond the here's how it comes from the factory kind of thing when it when when it comes to like uh, service whether it's service desks or queues, or, you know, depending on what system you're using. Um, If you're going to follow, like, maybe you want to follow ITIL, so you want to set up your ticket type, subtype, all that stuff. Um, Like, how how do you recommend people set that type of stuff up? That's a great question. And so out of the box, um, Autotask especially comes with, um, you know, queues that are, um, and and I'll show you on this one if I can... um, show you uh, so if we go back to features and settings and we go to service desk settings so here on the queues i mean you'll see that this particular um database has hundreds of different queues i i would absolutely keep this as simple as possible um so here you can see we've got you know first line triage we've got second line and third line so you know um out of the box all the tasks will always come with a first uh, a first line and second line queue and i see so many people just leaving those in place you know, and if you're a small MSP with a flat structure and everyone's doing the same work, you know, everybody is going to be doing, um, uh, you know, both first and second line support and you're not really escalating tickets to, to everybody, then I would just have a, a queue here called support. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily have a second line support queue. The only time you really need to have, you know, queues is if you have dedicated people that are doing those particular roles. So if you had second and third line people in this case, um, then you could say, you know, first line, they get to a point where they can't deal with this ticket anymore. They either push it to second or third line. Um, and the first line guys don't see what tickets are in the third line queue. So um, out of the box, it's going to come set up like that. It's going to come with a first and a second line queue. If I'm working with a smaller one and two man MSPs, I normally just get rid of those queues and we, and we reset these and we change them back to, um, you know, something very, very simple and very straightforward. And then things like monitoring alerts, I would have a, a specific queue for that as well, because that's giving you the ability to say um, that, you know, it's keeping all of the monitoring alerts in one place. Just bear with me, Steve. I'm going to close the door. There's an airport just near my house. and the. Uh... <laughs> Don't worry about it, man. I get it. There you go. 
um, there's these noisy planes that keep flying over the top of my house and then I can't hear anything. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, you you basically have the ability to to change all of these, to to set them to be as simple as you possibly can. Things like monitoring alerts. I would have a queue called monitoring alerts, and this keeps all the all the RMM noise in there. Right? So you don't then have the RMM noise kind of hitting your support queue, which I call your working queue, because that's where your engineers are going to be working, going to be focusing on, on fixing issues. You know, you don't want to be having those guys coming in and um, and working on or, or you know looking through this list of tickets that's got a whole bunch of RMM noise in it. So I normally keep those that that stuff completely separate. So that's one of the things I definitely think, you know, people should look at and should start to change and really think about, you know, what is the structure of my service desk look like and how do I actually need to, um, uh, you know, do I need so many levels of, of queues? And the other thing is, is this. So you can see, I mean, again, in here, this is only a demo account, but you can see how many statuses there are. But people just get far too confused. So they all just look at this and say, oh, I don't even know what status I'm supposed to change this ticket into. Luckily, though, in Autotask, in those ticket categories where I showed you the opportunity category, they have the same thing with tickets. So you can, based on the type of ticket, based on the category, you you can, um, uh, you know, pare this list down so that you only show a few tickets in that list um, or a few uh, statuses even in that list. But yeah, I just think, you know, keep these as simple as possible. You don't need to have, you know, a ticket status for, you know, every little thing. I like that. Now, the status thing, you know, that's easy to overcomplicate because, uh, you know, I'm waiting on customer, I'm waiting on vendor. And then um, maybe I want to set up a bunch of workflow rules for, if I'm waiting on the customer and it's been so long, I want to start nagging the customer. And then um, sometimes in, in my ignorance of setting up workflow rules, maybe I think I need to have like uh, it make a change. So that way, like the timer kind of starts over kind of thing, if that makes sense. So if if it's been waiting on them for one day and then two days and then three days, I never know the right way to to set that up. Do I have it shoot them an email and then change the status to waiting customer, uh, second notification, you know, that kind of thing? Or, or do I just keep them on waiting customer and set up the workflow differently? Great question again, and, and it depends. So, um... So yeah, waiting customer here. If you um, again, it all is going to boil down to your SLAs as well. So mm-hmm. you know, if if you changed your ticket from you, you know you went from new to in progress, then you're going to hit your first response. So your your um, well your clock starts ticking. Your SLA clock starts ticking at the new stage. Um, what's then going to happen is you're going to change it into uh, in progress, uh, and then then you're going to say waiting customer, that's going to pause your SLA clock. Now, what you would do at that point is send the customer an email um, saying, hey, Mr. Customer, we're waiting for you to come back to us. And we could workflow around that then. It would then say, okay, we're now, um, we're waiting for you. If we haven't heard back from you for three days, we then send another email saying we haven't heard back for for three days. Um, If we still haven't heard back after five days, maybe we send a, a little bit more harsh and then after, say, eight or nine days, we just close the ticket down. 
So we can do those. And then as when we then close the ticket, it then says, you know, it, it, it hits our resolved SLA at that point. So this gives us the ability to um, to keep those things going through the um, the workflows, but also allows us to, you, you know, pause the SLA clock. Because if we're waiting for the customer, we don't want the SLA clock to continue ticking um, while we're waiting for the customer. So, and that could be 10 days, 15 days for them to get back to us. If they then do get back to us within, say, 15 days, and then we change it back to in progress or back to some other status, then the SLA clock continues to tick after there. But but when it's in that status, um, it, it'll just pause it and um, and only when we then change it back to something else, it will it will restart. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the problem with a lot of these, these statuses as well is, you know, this one here, and I see this so many times, I see people having one that's called waiting approval. And, you know, I always challenge my customers on that and say, like, what does that mean? Who's, whose approval is this waiting for? Is this the customer's approval? Is this manager approval? Is this, you know, whose approval? Who's manager? Because, Your manager? Because... Yeah, exactly. It's like waiting, <laughs> waiting approval. It's like, okay, well, um, if that's waiting for the customer approval, then you don't, you've already got a waiting customer. So you don't need to have a waiting approval for the customer because I would then mark that into waiting customer. And I would then put some notes against that ticket to say, waiting customer, hey, I'm waiting for you to come back and approve this or do whatever the case might be. So, and I see this, it, it, it's weird, and this is actually not even a, a system one out of the box, but almost every MSP I work with has a waiting approval um, status and you just don't need it, um, you know, and then again, approved. So, you know, what, what does that mean? I mean, what's approved, you know? So if you are going to have these kinds of things as waiting approval or approved, then then say waiting manager approval or waiting internal approval or waiting customer approval or whatever the case might be, but don't just kind of make them, you know, wishy-washy like this and call them waiting approval. So. All right. And let's, let's talk about workflow rules for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So workflow rules is kind of overwhelming. It's, it's kind of looking at uh, a list of 75 ticket queues, like, where on earth do we begin? So do you have like a, a list of when somebody, when somebody hires you, do you have a list of here's bare minimum? Obviously they're going to need all these workflows. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So, um, so I have a set of best practices, um, you know, standard workflow rules. I mean, there are a bunch out of the box already that come, um, that come out of the box. Um, but one of them is the one we just spoke about, you know, uh, when a customer is, a ticket is waiting customer, um, you know, I have a workflow rule that that I set up with them that says, you know, let's look at this after two days, three days and five days, um, you know, and some customers want that after 10 days or whatever. So if, if after 10 days we haven't heard back from you, we'll automatically close the, the ticket. Um, now, I'm a big fan of workflow rules that automate, um, you know, pretty much everything on the system. But I do find that what a lot of people do is they tend to have workflow rules that notify people on, on every little thing that happens. Um, and I'm not a big fan of, of, of email notifications coming out of workflow rules. So, um, you know, again, if you're going to set up workflow rules, and most of the ones that, that I set up will, will have, um, uh, you know, for example, will say if a ticket has been sitting in a queue for longer than a certain period of time, then, um, you know, automatically change the 
um, the engineer or move it to a different queue or do whatever the case might be, but but just move it out of the triage queue um, so that the ticket is being um, being actioned. And what I will do instead of emailing it to a uh, a person, I will actually set that to to send it somewhere like Slack or Teams or one of those kind of things. Um, so it still sends an email. It just doesn't send it to you as an email. It'll send it into a Teams channel or something to that effect. So, um, so yeah, I have a bunch of workflow rules that um, that I can set up for a bunch of things, um, and and I just work through with my clients of the things that they need to to workflow on and automate, and then we we automate. Them so without telling us like how to set them up. Can you rattle off some of your favorite workflow rules? Sure. Um, so again, yeah, notifying if a ticket has been in an idle state for a particular period of time. So maybe it's been idle for um, you know a few days. That's going to notify somebody. Um, you know, when a ticket comes in from a um, from an RMM tool that has some kind of words in the, um, or, or actually from anywhere that has some kind of words in the email. So maybe it's got virus or server or something, then, you know, change the status, um, change the priority, those kinds of things. So, so we can do those. And I've got a, a, a few of those kinds of things that I normally set up for people. And then what's the, what's the most like convoluted or complex workflow role that you've ever set up? Uh, there aren't really any that are, are that, well, I don't find them that complicated. I mean, you know, People like to do weird and wonderful things with them, um, uh, you know, sort of changing, changing into different queues and removing, you know, engineers and, and um, you know, all these kind of things. But there's nothing that's really that complicated on them. Um, what I do find, and you were just asking, you know, just actually going back to the previous thing about, um, uh, you know, best practices and I often find that almost every MSP I work with has different requirements. So even though I have a list of, of standard, um, you know, workflow rules and queues and statuses that people use, um, I, I tend to customize a lot of the the implementations that I do and, you know, the consulting calls that I do purely because, you know, no matter, you know, we all think that that we're the same as the next MSP down the road. And, and most of the time we are because of the, the types of, services that we deliver, those kinds of things. But but the internal processes on how we do things are, are going to be different in every company. So, um, you know, I I normally just bespoke all of the workflow rules that people need and bespoke all of the, the templates and, and all that kind of stuff. Huh. All right. Let's talk about RMMs. Yeah. So... Data RMM. Yeah. I have a list here. Why aren't I reading it? Um, can you like sum up maybe what the most important thing or things would be in the RMM tool to do? Sure. So certainly, I mean, a, a biggie as far as RMM tools are concerned is patch management. So certainly being able to, you know, automate the, the patch management of not just the, um, the, the Windows devices, but third-party tools as well. So the Data RMM tool allows you to do that. Allows you to, um, uh, you know, it has a component built in that allows you to kind of patch 
some of the third party tools to be fair. Right. Um, but patch management, uh, you know, for Windows devices is, is probably one of the most important things you want to automate. Um, but also being able to keep an eye on, on, you know, the basic stuff. So, you know, is the CPU spiking at, you know, on, on somebody's machine or, you know, is the hard disk space about to run out? Um, so, so keeping an eye on those kinds of, on the very, very basic things is, is what an, an RMM tool is going to do and what it's going to be good at. When I had my MSP business, we actually called, um, we, we gave our RMM tool a name and we, well, we used to tell it, our customers, it was called Eyes On, um, which basically was, you know, we just keep eyes on your system all the time. And, um, you know, every time they, just anything went wrong, we would, it would obviously alert and tell us where, where something went wrong. So, um, so the thing about RMM tools, they allow you to really, you know, automate everything, become much more efficient, um, you know, and just provide a much better level of service to, to your customers because you're, you're able to do a lot of that stuff um, on scale as well. So you're able to, to kind of, you know, just go ahead and patch all of the machines or update all of the party applications and whatnot. So when, let's talk about monitoring here for a little while. So, what should MSPs be monitoring that you find they often aren't? Because I, I think, you know, when it comes to like CPU and hard disk space, like those monitors are typically easy enough to set up that even even somebody that's just getting started with the RMM that has like no clue where to begin, they can at least set that up. What are some of the, the bigger monitors, or I'm sorry, the... I don't know what the right word is that I'm looking for, but like what, what are some of the monitors that, that you find are most common that everyone should be setting up, but maybe they aren't. It's mm, a good question as well. And, and again, I think it's going to be to do with, um, uh, you know, which applications need to be updated. Um, so things like, again, you know, Adobe, um, well, which version is it running? Does it need an update? Um, those kinds of things, and and then automatically update them, um, you know, and then um, uh, you know things like, and again, it it depends on the MSP and depends on on what the environment is that they got out there, but certainly you know things like um, status monitors. So you know, checking and and actually, this is a very basic one that very few people actually set up. That you know, um, checking to see if your servers got have gone down, right? Um, you know, where they all check CPU usage and they all check hard disk usage and all those kind of things. But I've seen quite a few MSPs that don't have a, a you know, an up-down monitor to check whether the server has actually gone offline or whatever. Mm. But, um, which is, is you know, in my opinion, it's a, it's a fundamental one that you really should have and make sure that it's... it's it's And also, if you are going to have that kind of um, monitor to make sure that it's alerting you in... in you know, one or two minutes after the server's gone down, not like eight or nine, which I've seen before as well. You know, people say hey, eight minutes after the server's gone down. At that point, the customer's beating down your door and um, you know, probably shouting and screaming and throwing the toys out the pram at that point. So, you know, you want to make sure that you've got those kinds of important ones set up. And, and again, it does really depend upon the environment that you're in and what you're monitoring as to what components and what things you would actually be, um, you know, needing to set up in your RMM. That makes sense. So 
you you mentioned earlier you know we were talking about patch management now it's it's been a while since i've really had to worry about doing patch management through the rmm if i'm being completely honest the last time uh i was on an rmm doing patch management you know windows 10 was out and the the updates like all those feature updates like the rmm just couldn't really handle doing that has that improved at all uh a little bit i mean it's it's certainly the patch management side and the feature update side has changed a little bit in the in the data rmm um it still does fail from time to time but you know then again i and I, I think some of the the bigger um you know rmm tools handle that much better um but yeah, I mean, Dato RMM does have it for the for the feature updates, um, but yeah, it okay. it works it works well most of the time. Okay, because because the one thing that I'm I'm really starting to feel like is inevitable is I feel like we're gonna stop needing an RMM soon, if that makes sense. Like you know, Windows Intune, uh, Microsoft Intune just does so much. And I feel like the the Windows updates actually kind of work when you're managing it with Intune, um, which makes sense. You know, Microsoft would kind of develop both of them. So, and then they've they've got uh, I always forget what it's called, but they're they're working on that new like multi-tenant thing over at Microsoft, where partners will be able to manage multiple tenants. So. Do we need an RMM tool? I think it depends. I mean, certainly from a patching perspective and updating, um, you know, Windows patches and feature releases and all these kind of things, you know, yeah, Intune does a great job with that. And, you know, Intune is is included in, in um, you know, Microsoft 365 or certainly some of the packages. Um, so, so, yeah, that's going to do a great job of it. But, you know, where it's going to fall over, I think, is, is going to be able to, well, I'm not that familiar with Intune in terms of what it, it can do. So maybe somebody will uh, will correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, things like the third party management of, of tools like that, I think, um, you know, that you're still going to need an RMM tool for that. Um, you, you know, you're still going to need um, an RMM tool for non-Windows devices. So there's, you know, there's an awful lot of people out there that are, are using non-Windows devices. I mean, you, you and I both case in points, we're both using a Mac um, you know, although they don't have patching like, like Windows does necessarily, but they still need to be managed and maintained and updated. And, you know, the antivirus still needs to be kept up to date. So, so yes, I still think there is a need for an RMM tool. Um, I think it's just going to be a slightly different need. That's, that's reasonable. So with third-party patching, um, Dato RMM, uh, at, at least has a component that will work with Chocolatey. And Chocolatey can manage a whole heck of a lot of third-party applications beyond Windows. And, you know, I, I guess I kind of consider third-party applications to almost include uh, Office, because I never know if Office is included in Windows Update anymore. It's just too confusing for me, especially when it's being managed by an RMM tool. So do you recommend, um, as part of like onboarding a customer, 
getting kind of a list of all the third-party tools and software that's on each computer and then kind of, I don't know, uninstalling it and then having Chocolatey reinstall it real quick. That way Chocolatey can manage it. Because my understanding is Chocolatey can't update software unless it installed software. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, it was a long time ago that I ran my MSP business. So I, uh, I, I'm not familiar with a bunch of how these, these tools work like Chocolatey and, and what have you. But I mean, certainly Datto has a, um, a software management um, uh, component built in now. So things like the, the basic stuff. So, you know, Adobe um, PDF reader and, um, uh, you know, all these other ones. And in fact, including Office is actually on that list. So what it does is it says, if the application doesn't exist, then go ahead and install it. Um, and if it does exist, then just update it. So it, it actually does that already out of the box. There is only probably 15 or 20 on that list at the moment, but it is the stuff that everyone's using. So, you know, it's things like Adobe and, um, uh, you know, FileZilla, FTP, and those kinds of tools that people would, would mainly use. Um, so, so, yeah, that is there. But, yes, it does integrate with, with Chocolatey. Um, and I guess if you're deploying a brand new machine, you might want to just have the chocolatey stuff put on if, if you're already using that kind of thing and then just have chocolatey deploy and, and update all of those third-party apps. Cool. What is the right way for us to start setting up like some automated remediation based on those monitors that we set up earlier? So the right way, well... Um, again, there's there's a bunch of components already built out of the box that allows you to do a lot of that remediation. So things like just clean up and you know a bunch of these other things that that Dado has already built out of the box to allow MSPs to to do that kind of remediation. So um, and some of the the, the built-in um, policies in the system already have those um, those built into them. So you know, a perfect example we spoke earlier on about disk space monitor, you can say, you know, if the disk space is running low, then attempt to run a, a, a disk cleanup. And if if that sorts the problem out and it doesn't it doesn't alert again, then um, then great. If not, then you know create the alert and and you know push that into all the tasks as, as a ticket. So um so there are a bunch of components in there, but also tools especially like Data RMM does have the ability to actually allow you to build your own components. So you can build those with PowerShell or um, you know, VB script or whatever it is that, that whatever scripting language you want, um, and you can build your own components. And I would advise people to, to look at all of the, the things that they want to automate and the things that they want to remediate. And if there is already a, um, a component for that, Datto has a com store. So if it's already on the com store, then great. If not, then, um, then obviously, yeah, use something and go ahead and build it yourself. Is there like a third party com store that's like a, you know, not hosted by Datto, but there's a bunch of people that use it kind of thing? You know, you know what there used to be when I worked at Autotask way back in, in the old days. Um, and, and I say the old days it was only four or five years ago, but in IT, I think, you know, anything older than, than like a year ago is the old days, right? So um, our GitHub, somebody's saying there's some stuff on GitHub. So yeah, I mean, and and there is there's there's something um, 
I, I guess GitHub has a bunch of components that people go onto. Um, they used to, in the old days, be something that was managed by the community. Um, I don't know if that's still a thing, um, but yeah, you know, Git, GitHub's definitely the one. So when it comes to scripting, should somebody at that MSP be like, you know, fluent in scripting? Um, do, do they have, do, does an MSP really need to have somebody that can do some, you know, complicated PowerShell scripts? My, my favorite saying in the world is Google is your friend. And literally, no, to answer your question, I don't think, I mean, I have no idea how to program anything. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had scripts, I've, I've written scripts, or actually I should say I've stolen scripts from, um, you know, pe- people on, on the internet via Google to do stuff um, that have worked really well. So, so no, I don't think you need it. It probably helps a little bit, though, if you had an internal person who, who knew how to write um, some, well, you know, newer scripting language, but, yeah, you don't. You don't need it. There's enough stuff on the internet you can find out. There is a, I, I wish I know who was making this website. There's, there's a website. They don't put anything on it anymore. Lazynetworkadmin.com. And they stopped posting back in July of 2020. The thing that I loved about this site is they, they had all kinds of scripts. So that way you could automate uh, and I'm talking back like, you know, server 2003 days. So, you know, they had they had scripts that would help us um, automatically mount network shares and uh, set up the printers and, and all that good stuff. Right. Based all and it was all based on group membership. Um, and then uh, they, they just had so many cool scripts on there. I wish I knew of a place where you could go to get cool scripts these days. Um, I know there's, uh, gosh, what's his name? Well, GitHub, I mean, so somebody, you know, his comments on GitHub, and I've found a lot of stuff on there because I think not just not just data RMM scripts, but, you know, pretty much scripts for anything you, you could ever possibly, you know, wish to have. But there's a, there's a really fantastic guy he's european i don't remember where he's from it doesn't matter but um he is just constantly you know showing msps here's here's how i do powershell and here's here's how to script this and here's that and giving away scripts left and right does he do do you know who i'm talking about chris no okay his name starts with a letter um, if that helps, that narrows it down to every single person. In the- <laughs> <laughs> the I thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah, unless you're Elon Musk's kid, I think it starts with a number, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't even. I feel bad for that kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, with a dad, with a dad like Elon Musk, I feel sorry for them anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Um. I mean, I know there's a bunch of people that write scripts and, and, and do those kind of things, but I don't know of anyone in particular. I mean, maybe if anyone's listening, um, they can put something in the, in the comments and maybe we can. Uh... You know, I think I've, I'm starting to remember it. And I don't know, I couldn't tell you how to spell this guy's last name. I always, I always like, in my brain, I always chuckle and go, tickle chair. 
but I, I know it's not Tickle Chair. I think his first name's Kevin uh, or Kelvin, one of those two. Um, it's it's like Kelvin Tig. When I top Kelvin anything, Tickle K. Kelvin Tegelar, T E, and he's a Microsoft MVP. Oh, and he's the CEO at Lime Networks and a blogger at cyberdrain.com. This guy is a real asset to the MSP community. Um, I want to, I'd love to talk to him sometime. He is constantly posting scripts up on this blog here and, and teaching MSPs how to do scripting. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, Here's just the script, but here I'm going to teach you, like, here's how to write this script and here's how to read this script so you can know what it's doing and know that it's safe, if that makes sense. Yeah. So well, I just looked him up and it's, and it's taking me actually to GitHub, which is what somebody mentions. <laughs> but uh, he's, yeah, it looks like there's a bunch of stuff from him. So maybe maybe that's a great guy to get on your, your next or one of your next um, podcasts. Yeah, you can see it in there. Um, so this guy here, right? Yes, sir. Never heard of him, but I have now. He He's, like I said, he is a real asset to the MSP community. He's on Reddit and uh, Slack, Discord. Like He's he's all over the place, always helping people. So, um, all right. So we talked about scripting. Um, when it comes to scripting, Obviously, we can look up, you know, GitHub and and Kelvin stuff. Is there anybody else that we can use to just outsource scripting for us? Like, if if we wanted to set up a bunch of remediation and uh, scripting and and automation and whatnot, is that something that you're able to do for us, Chris? Uh, yeah, I can certainly help. Um, sorry, just bear with me. I see my camera's just decided to. Yeah, stop yeah your your battery might have died. Yeah, I think my battery's probably dead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flick onto my, even my webcam doesn't seem to be. Maybe I'm gonna have to go without a camera because it, it's okay. We'll make it work. Oh, hang on. Here we go. Allow. There we go. All right. It's not as not as good. It's my webcam, but yeah, I think the battery probably died on my Sony camera. All good. Um, yeah. So I mean, there's there's a bunch of. Um, I mean, I can, like I said, I've never programmed or I don't, I'm not a programmer, but um, I can certainly help people steal stuff from Google and, um, and you know, put it into the RMM tool. Absolutely. Most, most MSPs have people that are a lot smarter than me, probably write a lot of these scripts better than I can themselves. Um, but yeah, ha happy to help with, um, you, you know, wherever I can. Um, and I also wanted to point out at this point, I mean, the guys at, at, Dado, who, who run the RMM side, there's there's a couple of people in in the UK certainly um, that are, are are like you know gurus in this product that can absolutely write scripts. There's certain people there that will um, you, you know could probably write a, a very complex script in five minutes with their eyes closed. So um, it's so definitely leverage those guys, right? Leverage the people um, on the RMM side at at Dato. Um, and even if they can't write the script, they probably may have access to a bunch of people that will know how to do it. Um, 
So there actually used to be one of the guys who um, actually was the, before Dato RMM was Dato RMM, it used to be a product called Centra Stage. Um, and there was a guy who was one of the original Centra Stage employees when there were only about four people in the company, a guy called Simon. And he used to have a website called Scripting Simon. And again, I think he stopped that website now, but I believe he may still work at Dato. Um, and he would be a great guy to be able to to leverage if people need to as well. So, and let's talk about integrations. Um, obviously, you know, integrating Data RMM with Autotask is a you know it's a no brainer. But are there are there other integrations that you think every MSP should have with their RMM? And I ask this because I know um, back in the day. ConnectWise Manage had a bunch of integrations that um, sometimes they'd get super outdated, and now you'd have just another attack vector of, of you know some way to to hack into the to the RMM. So, what are there like must-have integrations with Data RMM or what? Um, I guess in terms of well, certainly the. the the usual basic stuff that that's out there, you know, I would absolutely make sure to advise people to make sure they turn on things like 2FA or, um, you know, use a, a YubiKey or one of those sort of things to, to secure it down so that hackers can't get into it. Um, but, you know, in terms of integrations, yes, it integrates absolutely with, um, with the Autotask PSA. Um, it, there are also other integrations that work specifically on the PSA side um, and, uh, you know, one or two, like obviously Datto's own backup products work within the uh, in in the RMM tool. But the majority of the integrations that that I know of, you know, are, are integrating with a PSA tool rather than on the side. Got it. Well, Chris, if if somebody wants to reach out to you and um, have you help them set up their PSA or RMM, how how do they do that? Yeah, um, great question. So I, I'm on all the socials. Uh, I hang around in the Autotask Facebook group. I'm on all the other MSP groups as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm always on the Tech Tribe. So if anyone's on the Tech Tribe, um, you can find me there. Uh, or you can just um, go to my website, which is um, www.sondelaconsulting.com um, or just send an email to hello at sondelaconsulting.com. And uh, yeah, and you can get in touch with me, with me that way. And and how does it work? Is it a, a flat fee? Is it a monthly retainer type thing? Um, but both. So it depends on what people want. Um, some people just want an implementation. So an implementation lends itself better to a block of hours. So typically, um, you know, I would sell a block of hours, you know, normally 10, 15 or, or, or 20 hours. Um, so somebody would buy that block and we would go through the, the entire implementation. We would go through that. Um, you, you know, with my MSP hat on. So I would help them implement that, um, you know, in accordance with MSP best practices. And then um, then some of the people after that, they want to engage with me on a longer term to just kind of, you know, coach and, and help them to to set things up and as new releases come out to kind of help them with that. So, um, so yeah, then, then they would revert onto a, a monthly plan. Um, but I have some other MSPs who just want to... Um, you know, want me to kind of, they take me on as their, their auditask champion, if you like, somebody who just, 
um, they just want me to come in and just fix it all and make it all work. And, um, you, you know, and that often takes some time to do. So we'll sign them up on a, on a monthly program and a monthly coaching and I'll kind of help them to get the product set up and stuff. So it really depends upon what they want and, um, you know, but, but the majority of people are buying blocks of ours. And what kind of investment are, are we seeing on average? Again, it depends on, um, on what, on how many blocks you buy really, but typically, um, and I'll probably, probably do this in dollars. It's around about, uh, let me convert it in pounds. So it's probably around about two and a half thousand dollars for a 10 block, um, somewhere in that region. Um, so that's typically what people will be paying. And then on a monthly basis, it depends on what you want me to do for you. But, you know, my standard coaching service, if you just want PSA stuff, is around $500 a month. And then the full kind of done-for-you service where I'll become the, the order task champion um, is is around about $1,200, I imagine. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of what we charge. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Can you can you hold up that book again? Your, um, Chris, uh, just for those of you that missed it earlier, uh, Chris wrote PSA Profitability. You can get it in a paperback or on uh, Kindle right from Amazon's web store. And uh, I will put a link to that in the description. So yeah. it'll be... It does also easier. have its own, its own website, which is psaprofitability.com. Nice. So you can go to psaprofitability.com and there's the Amazon links on there as well. Um, so yeah, I'll make sure you get, get those. And then, uh, and, and Steve, actually, if you, after this call, if you ping me your, your address, I will send you a signed copy as a thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate that. Um, Chris, thanks for coming on, man. This was fun. I, I hope that uh, you guys all learned something and, Seriously, you know, obviously we, we just kind of uh, dipped our toes in the water. I'm, I would feel comfortable having Chris do like a, uh, a full implementation, you know, on a, on a PSA for my, for my MSP. Um, because at that point, I think, you know, there's, there's a difference, you know, you, you want to show people that, you know, stuff, but you don't want to give away the whole cake. Right. So <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I, I think we did a great job of uh, educating people on, on some of the right things they should be doing in their PSA and RMM, and they should be able to figure out how to do that stuff. But if they can't, or maybe just don't have the time or don't want to, then definitely go reach out to Chris. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Steve. Yeah, really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Well, Thanks so much for watching, folks, and uh, I will catch you guys at the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today.